environment team. Uh, so today we're, we're kind of winding down. We're coming to the end of our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, we've, been, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous teaching. And try to get the picture of this with me. Uh, Jesus is there, and everywhere he goes, hordes of people are following him because he can do things like heal people who have never walked in their life. Like, I'd want to check that out too. And so Jesus is performing miracles. Uh, he's casting out demons. He's healing sick people. He's doing all these crazy things. And like thousands of people start flocking to him everywhere he goes. But then one day he pulls away from that crowd and he calls his disciples to him. Now, the New Testament uses the word disciple in really two ways. One, uh, it uses it to mean, or we use it to mean the 12, right? His original 12 disciples. Uh, but it also uses it in a more generic sense to mean everybody who's a follower of Jesus. Like if you're here and you're a Christian, you're a disciple. And that's what this group of people looked like. So it was probably somewhere in the neighborhood of about, about 150 people, give or take. Uh, a group of people that was, you know, not a small group, but it would fit in this room. Uh, and so um, Jesus is there, and the people who are with him are his followers. It's not just a massive crowd, is my point. And, and he pulls up on a little hillside alongside the Sea of Galilee, and he begins to teach them, not how to be saved, how to get to heaven, but he begins to teach them, this is how you live as a person who's following me. You, you've said yes to me, you've received salvation, now, now you're following me, here's how you live. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount really is. My hope as your pastor as we move forward from today till forever is that you'll embrace God's word because Jesus teaches at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, here's the key to a solid life. Whoever hears my word and puts it into practice will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. That's what Jesus says. So my hope is that you'll, you'll begin to just embrace the word of God even more than ever before because winging it is a bad plan, right? You ever just found yourself coasting through life? I remember one time uh, when Matt Gropper and I were young, we, we became friends like right when we graduated from high school. I remember Matt's dad saying to us one time in the garage shortly thereafter, you know, he's talking about future planning and growing up and be a man, take responsibility for yourself. And he said, you know, the next 10 years is going to go by whether you're ready for it or not. That's so true, isn't it? Winging, it's a dumb plan. We're not winging it, okay? The Word of God has a plan for us. So here's something that I think we can all connect with regardless of where you're at on your faith journey, and that's this. Being normal is way overrated. Being, being a normal person is just a really overrated way to live. So I got to give you a few examples, okay? Here's what normal people do. Normal people are buried in debt. That's one thing that's really normal in our society. So if you're there, that doesn't make you a weirdo. That makes you pretty normal because that's just part of our culture. Okay? Normal people in our society, they go through their day full of anger because they've been watching CNN or Fox News, depending on where they're at, for the last three years. And one thing they know for sure is who they hate, who they're mad at. That's totally normal. Going through life full of jealousy or FOMO because you, somebody else got something that you didn't get, that's totally normal and it's a bad way to live. It's really normal to be selfish, to be unsatisfied, to be discontent. Um, if, it's a if you're a teenager in this room, it's really normal for your peers to make decisions right now. At 15, 16 years old, they're gonna do serious damage to their career, to their marriage, to their family, and those things haven't even started yet. It's totally normal for them to make those kind of decisions. It's normal to be depressed and discouraged. Need I go on, normal is way overrated. No. 
Being normal is way overrated. And so Jesus, in Matthew 7, he spells out the alternative to being normal. And so if you have your Bible with you or you have the Bible on your device, we're eventually going to end up in Matthew chapter 7. So you can, you can go there. I, I want to just take a little bit of a journey on our way there, okay? I want to turn back the clock a little bit uh, to another key moment that happened much earlier in the life of God's people. Okay, so we're going, we're going back a ways, about 1,800 years before Christ, quite a ways. Now, it's been about as long now since the life of Christ as it was before the life of Christ to this event. Okay, so it's, this is a long time ago. The Hebrew Israelite people, they have become slaves in Egypt. Uh, over time, they, that slavery, what once was a partnership, eventually that slavery gave way to a very oppressive and harsh form of servitude. And they began to cry out to God in their misery, God help us, which just goes to show you that some things have not changed because I think still to this day, we tend to be really dialed into God when we're in trouble or when we're in pain. And it took that for them to get there. So God hears their cry for help and he raises up a leader named Moses. You know, if you've never read the story, I bet you've seen the animated movie and probably know something about the story of Moses. God raises up a leader and leads the people out of slavery in Egypt, and he's leading them, Moses is leading them, or God is leading them through Moses, to their own land, to the land of Canaan, where they would be free to worship God as their own autonomous people. I would imagine if I'm in their shoes, I'm excited about this. This is pretty incredible. 430 years their people were in slavery, and now it's finally happening. So they march out of Egypt, God parts the Red Sea, they cross over, they're headed toward Canaan. And of course, if you know the story, they didn't take the direct line. It probably on foot would have been about a two to three week journey. Like, it's not that far. But the, bio, they, what, the route they ended up taking is what the Bible calls the roundabout way, which is not a good sign. Uh, it turns out they ended up wandering around the wilderness for 40 years. Now, here's what's interesting about that. The first year, that was God's idea. Because they had just spent generation after generation, I don't know how many generations 430 years is, let's call it a bunch. They've just spent a bunch of generations living in this sort of pagan, uh, this pagan environment where there's all kinds of false religion and uh, just evil spirituality around them. And God takes them on a journey, the roundabout way, to detoxify them. So there's some things that happen in that first year God gives them what we know as the law. It was his word. Uh, you might think, uh, think of the Ten Commandments were a, sort of the cornerstone of that. God spells out for them the directions very clearly, this is how you live under my blessing. If you, if you live this way, it will go well for you. He gives them very clear instructions about how to do that. Now, the next 39 years of wandering in the wilderness, that was all them. That was all their rebellion and unwillingness to do the instructions that God had given them. So those 40 years of wandering in the wilderness are chronicled in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. That's what's in there. If you ever wondered what's in those books way back in the dark side of the Old Testament, that's what's there. It chronicles those 40 years. The next book after Numbers is the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, it tells most of that story, but here's what's important about it. For our, for our purposes anyway, what's important about it is it chronicles Moses' farewell address. 
at the end of Moses' life, he says, hey, people of God, this is the most important thing. And he begins to recount all of the things that had happened since they left Egypt. He says, God has laid out a plan for you. Remember, God gave us direction. Remember when he, he led us by a, a pillar of fire, a pillar of smoke during the daytime? He physically gave us direction. He reminds them of that. And he said, God gave us his protection. Remember when he parted the Red Sea so that we could escape the Egyptian army? He says, God gave us provision of food. Do you remember that when we needed food and God gave us manna from heaven? He reminds them of what God has done. And then he says, most importantly, God gave us his word. He gave us the commandments. They called it the law. Most of the Bible hadn't been written yet at that point. It was the first five books of the Bible. He says, God gave us his word and his instructions so that we could live in peace and blessing. God gave us his word. And now, two things are about to happen at the end of these 40 years. Moses is about to die, and they're finally going to cross over the Jordan River and go into this promised land that God has, God has laid before them. So Moses has finished his race. He's accomplished the task that God had laid out before him. And he's about to pass the torch to Joshua. Joshua has been sort of the leader in, in waiting, and Joshua is going to lead the people in to take the promised land. Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, consists mostly of Moses' parting words at the end of that 40 years. He reminds them of all that God has done. He reiterates the commandments and the law. He reminds them of God's faithfulness, and he exhorts them. Continue trusting the Lord. Continue putting God's word into practice. And at the very end, he says this verse in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. He says, this day, today, I call heaven and earth as a witness against you. He says, everybody listen up. I'm calling all y'all as witnesses to what I'm about to say. See, today, I have set before you life and death blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God and listen to his voice and hold fast to him. And then immediately in the next chapter, he passes the torch to Joshua. God has a plan. He reminds them of who God is and what he's done. And he, he reminds them that God gave you his, he's given us his word. And then he says today, right now, this moment, I'm placing before you very clearly life and death, choose life. And that's the end of his, his life and ministry. God had a plan all along for this. Moses is calling their attention to it. God has a plan, and it's his plan. It's, it's God's plan. Moses just executed the plan. He didn't create the plan. He led the people and showed them where to go. Now, here's what's really crazy to me about this. At this time, Moses is 120 years old. I am much less than 120 years old, but on the current trajectory, I can't imagine how I'm going to feel energy-wise at 120 years old, right? Here's Moses. He's 120 years old. I mean, he's like seriously on the clock, and he knows that the time has come for the people, this is our point of application, the time has come for the people to follow God on their own without Moses telling them what to do. So he's giving them the plan. Here's God's plan. He says, this is the way to life. This is the way to blessing. Now choose it for yourself. Choose it for yourself. And then his leadership comes to an end. 
Moses and the, Joshua, Moses dies, and Joshua and the people have to choose it for themselves. So Moses dies at the end of the book of De Deuteronomy. And if you were flipping through your Bible, the very next page is the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 1. Uh, I think one of the most interesting books in all the Bible. It picks up the story of the Hebrew Israelite people right where Deuteronomy ends. Joshua is now in charge of executing God's plan. God tells Joshua, okay, you're the leader now. And Joshua doesn't really get much of a ramp up period. He says, hey, you're in charge. You're the leader of the nation. Now lead all these people, which by the way was about 2 million people at this point. Lead this nation across the Jordan River and go take back the land that I gave you from all the people who, from all of these awful pagan nations who settled in there while you were slaves in Egypt. Uh, I just want you to know, if you leave your house for 400 years, somebody else is going to move in. So now they got to go back and basically clean out the land and, and retake it. Now, I just want you to see really carefully the promise that God makes to Joshua right here. Okay, it's a, it's a conditional promise. You do this, Joshua, and I will hold up my end of the deal. I'll do that. You do, you do this, and I will do that. Joshua chapter 1, verse 7, God's instruction to Joshua. He says, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may be successful wherever you go. Joshua, take my word. Take this word that Moses gave you and put it into practice. Hold tight to it, Joshua. Put it into practice as if your life and your safety and your happiness depend on it, because it does. Verse 8, he says, keep this book of the law always on your lips, Joshua. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Joshua, keep my word close to you always. Build your life on it. Make it the foundation of everything you do. Verse 9, have I not commanded you, Joshua? Joshua, do you get the point? Joshua, do you understand what I'm, what I'm saying to you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Joshua, if you take my word and you make it the foundation of your life, then my blessing and my protection are going to go with you everywhere. Joshua, if you hold fast to my instructions, then wherever your feet take you, that land is yours. No weapon formed against you will be able to prosper against my will, Joshua. Hold on to my word. Joshua, take my word and put it into practice. Now, what we see in this case of Moses and then Joshua is that God has a plan. But the plan isn't just for Moses or just for Joshua. The plan is for all of the people. God has a plan for all the people, and it hinges on their decision to go his way, to take his word and build their lives on it. This is how a conditional promise works. God gives them the blueprints, but they have to build. God is like an architect, so to speak, and Joshua and Moses, they're the, they're the builders. So, uh, Will, come here, Will. Come here, Will. Will's going Will's to help me out. Will's going to be my architect. Yes. Hey, did you see Will up there playing his guitar today? He looks, looks pretty handsome, doesn't he? Here, brother. Um, I brought this jacket for you. You put this jacket on so people know you're a real architect. Okay, yeah, there you go. Okay, so this is what I need you to do. We're going we're gonna to build a house, 
And uh, I just need you to sketch up some blueprints for a house there real quick. Uh, and you only got like 20 seconds, so make it good. Uh, Will's a smart guy. He's a very experienced architect. In fact, he is probably the world's foremost expert on residential architecture. Uh, I don't know if you knew that or not. Um, he's got the calculations just dialed in there. Uh, he's an excellent artist, which helps. Uh, Will knows everything there is to know about how to build a solid house. But here's the thing. Will's going to draw up the plans, but he's not going to go out and build the house. I mean, look at that jacket. <laughs> looks good, doesn't he? You can't go build a house like that. What Will's going to do is he's going to partner with a builder, an expert builder who knows what they're, what they're doing. Garrett, you just made eye contact with me, bro. Come up here and be my builder. Come on, Garrett. All right. Listen, uh, let's see. Why don't you put this flannel on so people know you're a real builder? I mean, listen, word to the wise, don't ever trust a builder who's not wearing flannel. All right? Micah, you're not wearing flannel now, but it's your day off. Okay, all right, there you go. It fits good over a hoodie, doesn't it? It just feels right. All right, uh, here. Here's a hammer so people know we're not messing around. Okay, okay. So, so uh, Garrett here, he's, he's an expert builder. He's got his tools. He's got all the necessary equipment. Uh, he's got these drawings from the expert architect. <laughs> and uh, here's, here's what's interesting about it. Uh, why don't you go ahead and take those plans. You can just hand those over to Garrett. Whoa, whoa hold on. You got to roll them up first, bro. Like, like a real architect. Have you ever seen an architect walking around with a flat piece of paper? Uh, you roll up the plans. That's, that's how it works. Uh, that's, that's, that's the way it goes. Now, by, by giving you these plans, Garrett, Will is basically saying, if you follow these plans, you'll have a solid house. If you just stick to the plans. Okay? But, but here's what's cool. Not only do you have the plans, but you also have a relationship with the architect. So if you, if you read the plans and you don't necessarily know what to do, He's called the architect. You've known Will most of your life now, right? I mean, you're, if you're a millennial, you're probably going to text. I don't know what Gen Zers do. You're going to snap the architect or something <laughs> like that. Uh, but, but here's the thing. If you run into trouble and you don't know how to read the plans, you, you just call Will. He's the architect. He knows what he's doing. And as a bonus, you also know a whole bunch of other people who have taken Will's plans and built their own solid house. So you could probably ask around the room and get some answers to your questions if you come to that place. You know, all these other people now, it's entirely possible that somebody else in this room has faced the same type of questions that you might have. Here's what Jesus said about this issue. He said, Matthew 7, 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words, reads my blueprints of mine and puts them into practice, the builder, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And of course, that metaphor is not about building a house. It's about building a life. Everyone who takes my blueprints and follows them is like a wise man who built his house on a solid foundation. Garrett, if you follow the plans, you're going to end up with a solid house. The temptation is, I kind of want to do my own thing here. I might want a little hot tub in the living room or something like that. Sometimes God's plans don't always jive with the plans that we have in mind. But if you build your life, if you build your house on these plans, you're going to have a solid house. Whoever builds this house, whoever reads these words of mine, hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, 
It's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. He goes on to say, the rains came, the stream rose, the wind blew and beat against the house, but it didn't fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Great job, you guys. You go sit down. Yeah, give him a, give him a hand if you would. <laughs> Trouble's going to come. Oh, sad. You guys look good in that. Way better than me. Hey, that's a good point. <laughs> Trouble's going to come. Trouble's going to come. But if your house is on a foundation, a solid foundation, it'll stand. There's evil in the world, and you're going you're to experience the effects of it. Pain is going to happen. Loss is going to happen. But if your house is on a solid foundation, it'll stand. And Jesus says, for contrast, in the next verse, he says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Sounds pretty normal to me. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, but it fell with a great crash. Coasting through life, just doing what comes easy is pretty normal. Normal's way overrated. Normal is way overrated. Normal is to take the architect's plans and think, yeah, I want something else instead. So you start building your own house. Normal is just totally short-sighted. I don't want to do the work of digging down to the bedrock for my foundation, so I'm just going to start building here on the sands. You can make a mess of your life with one short-sighted decision. You know what happened to the Hebrew people after Moses and Joshua said, hold on to God's word? You know what happened? Eventually, they decided, yeah, we just kind of want to be like all the other nations. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 8 tells us about that. And eventually, they ended up back in slavery again because they didn't want to stick to God's plan. I've often said, there's not a day in my life that would have been better without Jesus. I can't think of a single thing that I look back at and think, man, if I wasn't a Christian, that would have been awesome. But I couldn't even tell you how many things there are in the past that would have been so much better if I'd have just stuck to the plan. And that's just kind of in our nature. So I just want to take the analogy just a little bit farther before we wrap up. And I just want to point out the fact that a lot of builders also have apprentices. Moms, dads, grandparents, aunts and uncles. You have apprentices. You have younger people who are looking at you. Uh, and some of you are at the beginning stages of that journey. But to the young people in this church, right now, you're an apprentice. And it's okay to be an apprentice. You don't have to rush to become a builder. It's important to learn your craft thoroughly beforehand. The builders in your life, your parents, aunts and uncles, people you know, adults who, who are following God's plan, they take their job seriously. And it's okay that you don't have all the tools yet. You don't have to rush to be 25 years old. It's okay that you're an apprentice. The builder has a lot more experience than you do, more resources than you do. And so they supply what you lack. Right now, in your life, the builder supplies the things you need. And that's how it's intended to be. Garrett, you were, you were my volunteer builder. In real life right now, you're, you're an apprentice. And the builders in your life, they take their job seriously. It's okay to be an apprentice. No good thing will be withheld from you because they're taking their job seriously. They're following the architect's plans. But someday young person, you'll have your own house. Right now, you go to your parents' fridge, and their food is your food. Their house is your house. Their way of life is your way of life. But someday, 
they're going to come to your fridge. <laughs> Someday, you're going to have your own fridge. You're going to have your own way of life. You may not do everything exactly the same, but this is what I want to say to every young person here. What the builders in your life are trying to communicate to you is take these plans and don't turn to the left, don't turn to the right. Take Jesus' words, build your life on it, and you will have a solid life. Don't just be normal. Normal's overrated. Don't be normal. So if you were here last week, uh, you know that we as a church family, we're entering this season of change. You know, we sort of, we've had kind of a wild circumstance over the last few years, and now it's like we're, we're planting our church all over again. And uh, part of that includes a change of location, but really that's just one little piece of the puzzle. Uh, I would say one year from now, you will not recognize your church uh, in so many ways. And as your pastor, I want you to know, I am taking my charge from God to, to help us know God's word and build our lives on it with all seriousness. The world is way too crazy for us to just be casual about God's instructions or for us to just have a Sunday morning relationship with God. Too much going on in the world. It's too dangerous for that. I want you to know I will be doing everything possible to help you build your life on the foundation of God's word. And so I say this on behalf of the staff, uh, on behalf of the eldership, that we will not be a church that hides our light under a basket. It's not, it's not the instruction that Jesus has given us. He said, take my, take my word and build your life on it. We're the light of the world. We're taking that very, very seriously. So we're not going to act like a bored church. I've had a good time here today. I thought this was pretty fun. We're going to be a bored church. And we're not going to be a shy church. We're not going to be a lame church. Pastor Rick doesn't do anything lame. Okay? That's, that's not how it's going to be. We, we don't have to pretend like we're, you know, we're a poor church. We're a small church. God's, God's provided everything that we need. And what we are is the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And we just now need to act accordingly. That's it. If, if I'm the light of the world, I just need to act accordingly. So I'm asking you today to choose life, to build your life on the foundation of God's word. Dig into it. Build your life on it. You're the light of the world, and the world is depending on us to act accordingly. Jesus is expressly calling us in the Sermon on the Mount to be the light of the world. Don't settle for normal. Normal's way overrated. Normal is, I drag myself into church on Sunday, then I go out immediately and crush some nachos. That's great. I love nachos. But, but you're the light of the world. You understand? Like, there's something bigger than that happening. Embrace the architect's plans for you. Embrace the architect's plans for us as the light of the world. So I'm going to give you two calls to action, all right? The first one is devote yourself to God's word. And I'm just going to give you a really simple way... Hallelujah. A really simple way to make that happen, okay? Don't let January 1st come without a plan for how you will engage the Bible in 2023. Don't, don't let that happen, okay? Uh, the easiest thing in the world to do is download the Bible app, Bible app pick a plan. Uh, if you're not an avid reader, I don't actually recommend that you do a Bible in one year plan. Uh, there are a bunch of them that are the Bible in two years. But, but don't let January 1st come without a plan for how you're going to engage the Word of God in 2023. The second thing is pray. Pray that the Holy Spirit would move in a powerful way within our church family. Pray that we would be the light of the world. And just know, we're not trying to be a dim light. 
Okay, we're, we're trying to be a bright light for our city, a city set on a hill. So, so don't show up thinking, yeah, you know, we're just kind of us. We're, we're so small. We're so small church. Nice people, really nice people in this church. Good looking too. You know, we just kind of do our own thing. But, you know, the Holy Spirit, he's kind of tired. He's been around a long time. And so don't, don't think like that. Okay, that's not what we're going for. We're the light of the world. That's what we're going for. Amen? You with me? All right. Let me pray for you. Pastor Rick's going to come and uh, give us some instructions here, I think. All right. Lord, I thank you so much that you have, uh, you have sent your son into the world to pay for our sins so that we could know you just by faith in him, but that you went a step farther than that and you made us citizens of your kingdom. You've given us a role to play. You gave us your word so that we could know you and know about you and so that we could live under your grace and blessing. And so, God, I just thank you for that opportunity. I pray by your spirit that you would give us a passion for your word, a passion for your church, a passion for our community. And God, as we go out praying for those we love who need you, God, I pray that it would bear fruit. I pray that you would do good things in their lives and that you would use us to accomplish your will in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Rick. Thank you, Pastor Kelly. Hey.